Howdy, folks. Andrew Bray here, the son of your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. How's it going, Mom? Well, I, I'm having a good time with you this morning. We've got the giggles, yeah. and it's been fun. <laughs> I, you know, when we get time to have, you know, just talk to each other like this, it's like, even though, you know, we're not in the same room, I'm really enjoying this time. Me too. Me too. And yeah, the the folks are not hearing our giggles that we were getting out earlier, uh, mainly because we were just nerding out about uh, about the person you got to share a conversation with. So tell us a little bit about the conversation we're about to listen to. Oh, well, we were nerding out because she's amazing. Her name is Tan- Tanya Goff, and she was explaining to me some of the things that she's done in her life, and I'm blown away. I, I mean... Just starting out with her being a, she owned her own business when she was very young. She was, uh, she's learned how to develop uh, content and uh, do websites and all of that. But, you know, all the other things she's doing is she created this amazing company all by herself. I mean, she, I mean, I'm talking about from ground zero, she develop storybuilder.com. And she uses all these wonderful characters from Shakespeare. And I mean, I started, we started talking and I'm like, oh, we got to do some more talking. So let's, let's talk again. Anyway, <laughs> her story is amazing. And she's going to be somebody everybody's going to want to want to listen to. Everybody stay tuned and listen to a conversation that will definitely make you a fan of Tanya Goff. So stay tuned for Conversation with Tanya Goff and Barbara Bray. I am really lucky. I was at South by Southwest and I met this amazing woman who I just had to talk with more. It's Tanya Goff. Hi, Tanya. Hello, Barbara. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. Oh, it's exciting for me because I've learned a lot about you and I can't wait to share your story. In fact, are you okay if I just boast about you just a little bit? Sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) And I got to make sure I say it right. Tanya Goff. That's right. Oh, Oh, good. So Tanya was an ESL teacher, a retail store owner, a corporate digital marketer, and a freelance content strategist, intelligence researcher, and web developer. Is that all? Well, you know, there, there were, but they didn't fit on the bios. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this is amazing, amazing. So today, Tanya is founder of StoryBuilder. It's a creative writing platform for new and aspiring writers, and we're going to talk about it. It's exciting, Tanya. Oh, thank you. Uh, I've been working very hard on it. It's, it's just wonderful. And she also writes middle grade fantasy fiction and science-infused fantasy short stories for adults. Oh, my gosh. I'm my granddaughter. i got to tell her about you because she's into fantasy fiction. <laughs> oh, well, I'll set you up with some books when we're done. <laughs> Welcome, Tanya. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Well, I mean, when we talked at South by Southwest, you had said some amazing things. So um, I was just, I felt like this connection. I mean, didn't we feel like that? We were talking. It, it really was. Like we've it known was an, each other. 
forever. I mean, I don't know. I, I, it, this doesn't happen to me very often, but yeah, I feel like we've been best friends since the beginning of time. It's, uh, it's wonderful. It is really <laughs> wonderful. I, so you had told me a little bit, but I thought, why don't you tell my audience where you grew up and what it was like when you were young? Uh, sure. So I was uh, born in Montreal. Uh, it was uh, at the beginning of, well, in the early stages of the sort of militarized uh, francophone movement in Quebec. Uh, so while my family was anglophone, there was a lot of activity happening socially around uh, the French language in Quebec. Uh, it was also, a, we had military out in the streets at some point, at one point when I was a child, which was quite exciting. But it, it was a rather unusual upbringing, I suppose, in a lot of respects in that um, I was an Anglophone family. Um, I went to Catholic uh, kindergarten, although we weren't Catholic, and then was sent to French school um, because they had been doing, they'd converted all the schools to French language at that point. Uh, but by the time I was seven years old, it was clear that my family was going to be moving to the States. So I was put into English immersion courses um, so that I would be ready to go into English language uh classes when I arrived in, in the States. So that was all before I was eight. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That must've been really different. Cause that's a very, you know, that's when we're really uh, forming ourselves. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I can't speak to different because I don't know how other people, I don't have the experience of, I guess what normal is. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I remember being alone a lot um, as a child. I remember having a lot of freedom uh, I was just having a conversation today about in second grade, you know, walking uh, down, uh, you know, three residential streets and then across Queen Mary in Montreal, then up a hill to go to school on my own when I was in second grade. And that's with soldiers on the street. Yeah, I just remember sort of just finding my own way, I think is probably the best way to describe it. Well, that's kind of why you are probably like why you <laughs> this way, because you're very, I mean, there's this independent streak mm -hmm. in you and I love it. Oh. And so... When you moved to the States, where did you move to? Uh, we moved to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and my parents still live there. So. Oh, yeah. and they were, they spoke mm -hmm. English. Uh, they were Anglophone, yes. My father was actually British-British. He was born in England and had moved to Canada. My mom had been born in Australia and moved to Canada where they met uh, in college. So um, oh, my, wow. my, 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 I, I come from a very diaspora sort of family up. None, I don't think I have anybody in my family who was born in the same place as anybody else. A lot, <laughs> lot of lot, a lot of transplantation, a lot of uh, uh, intermarriage, and then moving somewhere else to create a new life. So that's always been sort of part of our family story. Yeah, that, I mean, interesting because Australia and Britain. I mean, in, you know, the UK. It's different. Mm -hmm. Uh, it is. And my mother's background is actually um, more uh, on the Russian-Polish side. So my grandfather, her, her father had been born in Kiev and her, uh, her mother had been born in Halifax, but of, um, of Polish descent. Uh, although whether it was Poland or Russia at the time, it depended on the day of the week. They, they had met in, in Canada and then gone to Australia where my mother was born. And then they came back to Canada after that. So there's quite a lot of that. Yeah. The last time I counted, I've moved uh, 27 times myself. So it's um, something we do. <laughs> wow. It'd be interesting. To, I don't know if you've done 23andMe or Ancestry.com and it'd be interesting to follow up on 
you know, the the paths of your ancestors and everything. Yeah, we actually did. Um, and uh, it turned out that we were a lot less uh, diversified than I thought that we were. Almost all of my family came from the same region of the sort of Poland, Lithuania, sort of Eastern Russia kind of area. Um, and almost everyone came out of there, except for my father's paternal side, which is strict uh, British. So Wow. Mm-hmm. We'll have to talk. Yeah. We'll have yes. to check some things here because <laughs> might, we might even be related. You never it's even entirely know. possible. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were in uh, New Hampshire, mm. that's kind of when you were. When you think of eight, that's mm. when you moved there. Yes. So that's when you're starting to socialize, right? Uh, except I wasn't. Um, so I, it, it, it did take me a long time to learn how to socialize. I had yeah, arrived in, in New Hampshire, seacoast town, about an hour north of Boston, uh, but very small town. And while Port- if you look at Portsmouth on Google right now, it will be one of the top ten places, one of the top places to visit. It's it's mm-hmm. quite posh now. Uh, it wasn't when I was growing up, um, and uh, there was a lot of culture shock for me right wow. out of the gate. So well, so where did um, you go to school then? Um, I went to uh, elementary school uh, down the street from my parents' house uh, for several years. Uh, then um, when I, after fifth grade, they closed down the elementary school. We only had 12 kids in my grade, uh, oh my so gosh. it wasn't big enough to sustain it. So they were closing mm-hmm. it down anyway. So my parents decided to send me to uh, Berwick Academy, which is a private school in Maine, um, where I stayed for two years. Uh, and then they jacked up their prices and it wasn't sustainable. So I ended up going back into the public school system for grades eight and then all the way through high school. Wow. So you were like in a boarding school? On- uh, not a boarding school. They uh, they came and picked us up by, by bus every day. Um, oh. But it was it was a solid hour on the bus uh, each way. Yeah. Wow. So you were, I have a feeling that you may not have been tested, but <laughs> you probably were gifted. I mean, do you feel like, did they do any testing for you? Um, I don't know that they did testing. Um, I know that I was always different. Um, and I know that I had certain aptitudes throughout, um, but they weren't always recognized or allowed. I mean, which is a horrible word to use. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, um, uh, I, I remember in particular getting a hundred percent in, uh, in, uh, geography in seventh grade, uh, and the teacher giving me a 99%, although I had like done all, I had gotten hundred percent on all of the quizzes plus all of the, the extra credit. And he refused to give me the hundred percent because he said, if I had a hundred percent, it meant I knew as much as the teacher. And <gasps> oh. that was devastating to me because I had worked so hard for my hundred percent and, uh, and, and I wasn't allowed to get credit for the work that I had done. So that was the first very hard lesson that I learned. Uh, and also uh, later in high school, um, I had sort of a similar situation with geometry. I, don't, I like the geos for some reason, um, where I had about 115% average in geometry. Uh, the teacher sent me home with a master with an MIT degree proof uh, as extra credit because I was I was so bored in geometry that I was taking my driver's ed classes in the middle of class because I just wasn't learning anything. So he sent me home with this proof and I actually solved it. It took me three days to solve this uh, MIT graduate proof. And I took it in. I was so proud of myself. And he looked at it and he looked at me and he said, your father did this. My father's also a mathematician. So he just wouldn't give me credit for it. So those, those things were, were not, um, uh, you know, wh- whether whether I was gifted or not really was sort of irrelevant. I ended up sort of just finding my own way regardless. 
Yeah. In fact, you told me when we were talking before something about St. Paul's School. What was that? Uh, yeah. Uh, St. Paul's is a, another private school. It's based out of New Hampshire and they run a really amazing summer program. Um, they take two students from each of the public schools in uh, New Hampshire, one boy, one girl. And you're invited to go for a six-week intensive program. Uh, I ended up attending and uh, majoring in um, uh, 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 business and politics. Um, so I got to learn all sorts of really amazing stuff. We went through law cases. It was it was just an amazing course, um, but uh, uh, also sort of typical of the type of thing that I do. I actually didn't realize until much later when I was talking to my mom that I actually paid for it myself uh, out of my uh, my part time job money that I had been accumulating over time. So it was not a small amount of money back then. Okay, so. <laughs> All right. All right. So yeah. I remember you told me this too when we were talking. It was kind of interesting is that mm-hmm. you always were independent and mm-hmm. you were an entrepreneur. I mean, you started mm-hmm. really young. Isn't that I right? I did. Yeah. I've been working. I've been working functionally since I was basically nine. I would say that my first, I, I, well, I started babysitting when I was nine. I was babysitting hardcore by the time I was 10. Uh, I had paper routes when I was 11, 12, and 13. Uh, and then I went to work for the public library, which a lot of people, before they were 16 in my neighborhood, they would go and get a job as a page at the public library. Um, so I applied for that. But instead of uh, putting books away, they put me to work uh, doing data management. So, and I was 14 years old. Oh my God. <laughs> so how did they know you knew how to do data management? Did they? Uh, I don't remember how we got there, but we just did. Um, I, I was also banned from uh, participating in any of the children's uh, reading contests after my second or third year doing them because I, I read all the books and I had too many animals up on the board. So I, they, they knew who I was and they, they, I think they knew what my, uh, what my capabilities were at that point. It's really, so. you know, I was different. <laughs> I was like a misfit because I was kind of like that, Tanya. I just, mm-hmm. but not, I don't think like as much as you, <laughs> you sound Brilliant, which could scare people, I guess, which is sad. Um, it's sad when you think about that. Yeah, I spent a lot of my life being told that there was something wrong with me. Yeah, um, me you know, too. Because, because they didn't recognize um, my differences. Um, you know, and any of the, I mean, the fact that, you know, that I've changed cultures and languages and uh, all of those things so many, so many times, um, I, I think today would be seen as a benefit and would be seen as, mm-hmm. um, uh, as as uh, you know a you know value a value add for a person uh, if you would put it in those terms uh, but uh, certainly in the times that I was growing up uh, difference was not uh, encouraged and it was hard for me I mean New Hampshire was was hard um, I grew up in a family that listened to classical music I didn't know who Casey Kasem was that uh, I didn't know what the top forty was that's all popular music for anybody younger than thirty who don't know <laughs> who those things are um, I just I didn't know the music I didn't know the language I danced ballet which was um, which which was a a, a terrible thing to do back in you know in New Hampshire in uh, you know in, in, in that time I got teased terribly for that. Um, oh yeah. Did you ever so, want to be a ballerina? Um, I was actually um, recruited by the Canadian Royal Ballet when I was three. My parents said no because <laughs> they wanted me to have a life, and I danced uh, I would say semi professionally until I was about eighteen. So yeah. You didn't tell me that. No, I know. <laughs> I like to leave some secrets. <laughs> Oh, you have lots of secrets. This is amazing. Do you miss that you didn't do that? Or do you feel sad at all about not pursuing ballet? 
Um, I did for a long time, um, but I think ultimately my parents were right. I mean, you know, ballet is, uh, gives you a very short life, has a very short lifespan. I don't know what I would have done with myself had I gone that route. You know, I don't know where I would have ended up. I, I do have a friend from high school who ended up dancing uh, for uh, um, uh, Paul Taylor Dance Company. He's actually managed, I, I know. think he manages- uh, I know Paul Taylor. Co- yeah, yeah, I think he manages one of the companies now. Um but, you know, I, I see in him, you know, what my fate might have been if I had gone that route. Um, wow. And he's, he's done amazing for himself. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, for myself, I'm glad I had other choices. So. Well, you had lots of choices because of your, who you are. You, you, you've, okay, so you wrote, you told me and wrote, you know, we were going to have a post that goes with this. And so you wrote a few notes and said, you owned a CD and video store? Uh, I did. Um, so I'm, I'm going to preface that with something else big. So when I finished uh, uh, my undergraduate work at McGill, I went to Japan to teach for um, oh, that's a year. Right. That's right. Uh, I came back, I used that money to pay my way through graduate school, went back to Japan. Uh, and then when I came back the second time, I had, um, uh, I had some savings uh, uh, put aside and didn't know where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. Uh, ended up in Toronto uh, while I figured out who I wanted to be when I grew up. And got on a train and went to Stratford, Ontario to see some Shakespeare. There's a Shakespeare festival there, one, the oldest, one of the oldest in the world. Um, somebody's going to call me up and say, we are the oldest. I, it's like a difference of a, a couple months or something. I don't <laughs> remember who, who got there first. Um, but... Um, I got to Stratford and uh, fell in love with the place. And that was in October of that year. And by December, I had uh, taken possession of a storefront and in February opened a CD and video store in town. I just didn't want to leave. You said it was 10 years you did that? Uh, Yeah, the CD store lasted about six years and then Napster happened. Um, So the writing was on the wall. And luckily for me, the Stratford Festival wanted my space for their theater store. So Uh I was able to arrange to get rid, well, to, to offload my, my, uh, my retail store. Um, but while I was doing that, I also, uh, built out, ended up building out a uh, Shakespeare specialty catalog, uh, of which I'm still quite proud. Uh, we ended up with over 3000 Shakespeare related items, uh, in the catalog, the largest collection of Shakespeare video and DVD in the world at the time and customers in 42 countries around the world. So once I closed down the bricks and mortar store with CDs in it, I kept the catalog running for uh, close to five years afterwards. Yeah. I have to make sure my son hears about this. <laughs> he's He uh, was involved with the Shakespeare Festival in Portland, Oregon. Oh, wonderful. And, oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's the one who would probably contest the uh, age thing. I'm not sure which, one's, which one got there first. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. I probably don't know, but he might know. So he can talk to you <laughs> about that. That is amazing that you did that and, and ballet and all of these things. And, but all of that shows that just like me, sometimes we don't fit in because we're so different that we, we can't sit still. We have to do some other things. And I think people like us have to make a choice. Uh, we either have to accept the fact that we're different and that we have no options and give in to the fact that we have no options and that, or that the world doesn't want to give us options. And then we just are miserable for the rest of our lives. And then there are others of us who it's not that we can't accept it. It's just that we, we just find our, we, we find another way there's always another way that we can get to where it is that we want to be. And I can't, I can't even pretend that 
all of my choices have been successful. I mean, there have been, you know, a lot of my choices have been not, not so successful. Uh, but the, I, I think what really matters is that we, we never take, you, you never get to a place where you have no options because there's always a different way or something else completely that you can do or a different way you can reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's about, it's about constantly being able to reinvent yourself into whatever circumstances are allowing you to, um, you know, to do. And sometimes being different also, I think is, um, a benefit because people aren't paying attention to us. So we can do things without scrutiny, uh, which means <laughs> that we can, we can get a lot more done, you know, and then, and, you know, and, I mean, I've taken that approach with Story Builder in terms of, you know, building it out. Um, you know, people just didn't understand what it is that I wanted to create. So I just said, look, I'm going to build it and I'll show you. And now they go, oh, that's cool. I said, told you, <laughs> you know. Well, I, before we get to Story Builder, because I yeah. want to really go into that. Sure. Um, <laughs> you also are a writer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's like, it's almost like, there's some complimentary things here that definitely we're going to have to talk about later, but um, you wrote some books. Do you want to just share what those are? Yeah. Uh, writing's been the one really consistent thread throughout my life, I think. Um, I've been writing for as long as I can remember. I have a couple of books uh, full of uh, poetry that I've written. I wrote when I was uh, about 10 or 11 years old. Um, and I actually read them in a group group. We have a local reading group that uh, uh, they have a special night for everybody to read their juvenile writings uh, so we can all make fun of each other. Uh, and um, uh, and, and they, they didn't make fun of me. They kept saying, well, well that, that was actually not, that, that was actually pretty good. And for a 10 year old, I mean, it was, you know, it, it was what it was. Yeah. Um, I also did some writing at, uh, at Baroque Academy. I, I have some short stories that I wrote for their, um, for their middle school, uh, journal. Uh, and then, um, I've been writing bits of fiction and, um, story throughout, uh, but also, I mean, content is, is is a major driving force in in all of my jobs as a teacher. Content, you know, writing for educational purposes, writing as a content manager, and you know, having to write, you know, for for business marketing. These are all different forms of writing. Uh, and uh, when I closed down the CD store, uh, well, when I closed down the CD store, I was left with a bit of a hole in my heart, and uh, that's when I started writing again in earnest. Uh, I produced a, a, sh- a middle grade fantasy novel called. Uh, Rootbound uh, in part of a series called Emma and the Elementals. There's supposed to be four books in the series. I've only written two so far. Um, and uh, followed that up a few years later with a book called Waterworks. Um, they're uh, about a girl who, guess what, doesn't fit in um, and who um, interacts with various um, uh, magical worlds. Um, my stories are basically a coming of age story. Um, I, I had gotten to a point where I realized I wasn't going to have kids of my own. And I, there were things that I would have wanted to tell my children and my daughters, especially. Um, so I wrote those books for, for them. Uh, and, uh, as it turns out, I've got a, I, I, I always say that they're sort of geared for 10 and up. I have a lot of adults who like reading them as well. Cause they're kind of wacky and funny and, and, and silly books. Um, but, uh, I've got this little army of, uh, eight, nine year old precocious girl readers who are really obsessed with them, uh, which, uh, makes me really happy. Cause I feel like I told the story that I, it's, it's almost like all my little life secrets are sort of buried in the story and only they can, mm-hmm. only they, they can see what they are. Because you can, well, you know, as a writer, Mm. you can be anything. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that I love about 
because um, I love to write too, you know mm. that. But I, I found that I was a poet when I was younger mm. also, by yeah. the way. <laughs> I had a book published a long time oh. ago. Yeah. So, oh, that's amazing. I, I'll have to go find that. Well, it's not, <laughs> it was published in the college. And oh. so uh, it's not out there, really. It was just for... I'll find it. If, it's, if it exists on the world, I will find it. No. I, I, I own the internet. Oh, you own the... Well, Challenge that's... accepted. <laughs> you won't find it because I can't find it anymore. <laughs> um, but anyway, the idea is that that's how our brains think. Yeah. It's I like we so. put our hearts into, yeah. putting our hearts into the characters or our hearts mm-hmm. into the stories. That's why I love the podcast because mm-hmm. I love to hear the stories of people. And it, right. it's just amazing what, I mean, I found out four new things about you and we've talked already <laughs> several times. So right. this is amazing. So yeah, let's I, get in. I, I'm just going to go right into, because you developed Story Builder, but before that you became a full stack content fixer. That sounds almost like a, a bad thing. <laughs> no, it's, 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 a, it's a, a name that I, it's a job title that I actually made up because it didn't really exist. Uh, in, uh, in the publishing world, they have something called a full stack developer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so what that basically means is that there's, there's two parts to creating a website or any kind of mm-hmm. program. You have anything that's customer facing. So like if you're doing the website, a website is created with HTML and CSS and all these languages that make it look the way that it, uh, it's supposed to look and to make sure you have the experience you're supposed to have. Uh, and the back end is uh, all of the uh, coding that runs the site and powers it. Um, so it's become rather popular these days to go looking for a full stack developer, meaning somebody who can handle both the front end and the back end, because most people tend to specialize in one or the other. Uh, and it's a, it's a tricky thing to find. Um, and, and that is something that I do. So I, I, I am a full stack uh, developer, but more than that, um, my career has been, uh, at least since the CD store, has been mostly focused on various forms of content management. So uh, by c- calling myself a full stack content fixer, really what I do is any kind of problem that you might have that's related to content, uh, I can help you with that. So wow. if you have messaging on your website that's not working properly and it needs to be reassessed and rewritten, I can do that. Uh, if you have a website uh, that um, is badly organized, I can reorganize it for you. If you need to have a website built, I can build it for you. In And I'm pretty content management um, system agnostic at this point, meaning that I've worked with almost all of the major content management systems on the market today. So uh, that wow. gives me a flexibility in the kind of work that I do. But also since I've gone freelance, uh, it's given me a lot more freedom in the kinds of clients that I take. Uh, and it also means that I've been able to do uh, just a crazy number of different kinds of jobs uh, that are all interesting of themselves, but I get to pick the jobs that interest me and the ones that make me happy. So my son is an actor, musical director. He was part of a theater group and there were no jobs, nothing. Mm-hmm. Everything got lost during COVID. So he just finished um, a coding academy and oh, he's wonderful. a full stack. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a full stack content. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a full oh, stack he's a developer. developer. Yeah. yeah. And so I know he's going to get a job and everything, but mm-hmm. I just want to say, mm-hmm. I know a little bit about it. Plus mm-hmm. I also built my own site. So I have That's some amazing. Well, Your site looks great. Well, no, I have another <laughs> site. Oh, another side. But that one, the one that you mm-hmm. saw is WordPress, mm-hmm. but I know because I know, you know, PHP and MySQL and all of the, and all the other, you know, HTML mm-hmm. and all of that. That's an it, amazing accomplishment. 
Well, I'm like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you have a job, you have a task, you have a thing that has to be done and you just figure out how to do it, right? Like, yeah, well, I hired people to. though. Cause yeah. I, there's some things I said, no, mm-hmm. I'm, right. I'm not like, I'm not that much like you. I couldn't right. do everything. <laughs> well, so. I always hire somebody to do my accounting because although I could do my accounting, I never want to do my accounting. So I, yeah. that is one expense that I will always outsource. <laughs> well, okay. So I go, well, okay. We have a little bit of common there. Yeah. But, 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 it's, but you built Story Builder yourself. Yes, that's correct. Oh, you got to tell everyone about that because it is amazing. Um, okay, well, let's, I guess we'll start out with what Story Builder is. Mm-hmm. Um, Story Builder is a creative writing platform. Uh, I've designed it for new and aspiring writers. So anybody who's ever wanted to write a book, but maybe don't have the education or the confidence level, or you're not really quite sure what to do or how to put all your pieces together, uh, we can help you with that. The base of it, it's uh, really a, a writing organization, an editing tool uh, under which I've added an education layer. So that helps to guide writers and helps to give them the information that they need to make the right choices as, they, as they're working through their story. Uh, and then there's also a public library that's full of uh, characters and maps and outlines from classic literature that you can borrow if you'd like to, completely optional. Um, but once you've got them, you can do whatever you want with them. Uh, and that's sort of the fun, the more fun part of the site. So, for example, if you wanted to use the uh, outline from Hamlet as your starting point for your story, you could do that. Uh, once you borrow that, it's yours to do with whatever you like. So you can rearrange it. You can turn it into a comedy. You can, you know, edit it and adapt it any way that you like. Uh, if you wanted to throw um, Dracula into your story, into that same story, you can do that. You can make Dracula a penguin. Uh, you can have <laughs> scenes taking place in Jane Austen's Pemberley, uh, and you know you can start to mix and match and uh, play around with things as you go along. But all of that stuff is optional um, for writers who like that sort of thing. Uh, if you want to write your own thing and do everything from scratch, you can do that. We're keeping track of your characters, your locations, and your timelines, so you can see where your characters are in time and space as you're developing your story. Uh, and you can you can sort of build um, the framework of your story organically. So if you're the type of person who writes from beginning to end, you can do that and we'll prompt you along the way. Uh, or if you're like the type of person who likes to just jump in and start doing things, then we're keeping track of all of those individual pieces and you can actually get a mm-hmm. bird's eye view of your story as it's evolving. That's amazing. I'll just tell you real quick is that I've worked with high school's English teachers and we used to take Shakespeare, just to give you an idea, give them the storyline and tell them to put in it in a different genre. Like oh how fun yeah and you really, could totally you could totally do that just with story wondering builder. if they could do yeah. that with story builder absolutely that would be, mm-hmm. so how could do you, you know so right now what are the ages is it because it's you said it's educational now so it's um, uh, no well I'm I'm just getting ready to launch we we just onboarded our first hundred users uh, in uh, March uh, and people are chugging away in there um, we're we're taking some time to clean some stuff up because, you know, once you have a certain number of people on a site, you know, things mm-hmm. change. You want to make sure that things are operating the way that they should. Uh, and I'm looking to to launch more formally. Right now we're looking at June. This is 2021. <laughs> um, yeah. If anybody's listening to this later on, um, <laughs> they're going to call me up in in two years time and say, you open six months later. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Um, but we, we want to take the time and make sure that it's right. Uh, and then we'll be uh, what I'm calling soft launching probably around June-ish. Uh, and then uh, I think right now we're looking at having like a major launch party sometime in the fall. Um, oh, so there's some cool. time. Oh, that is so yeah. cool. So mm. how do, 
do teachers mm-hmm. could use this? I mean, with their classes. So is that what you're thinking? Or? Yeah. Well, I'm 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 going into market with um, main uh, into a mainstream market to start. So I'm looking at individual writers in order for Story Builder to be really practical for schools. Uh, I'm going to need to build uh, an additional educational portal so that teachers okay. can come in. They can set their uh, their lesson plans. Uh, they can onboard their students, and then they can grade them. You know, and so they have some some way of reviewing the work that they've done. Which isn't to say that it couldn't be used in an experimental sense. And if you have any uh, listeners out there who would be interested in doing some trial runs on this, I would be really really happy to hear from them. You know, so once we've got out into the market and we've got things sort of stable, then I'll be building in additional tools for teachers to do that. There, there are other ways that Story Builder can be used as well. I've got uh, teachers who would like to use it instead of using it to create stories, using it to deconstruct stories. And that's something that is also a function that's basically good to go uh, right from the start. So, okay, I got to stop you there. When you sure. say deconstruct, because we do a lot on character building and yeah. and theme and plot and so is that what you're talking about, deconstructing it that way? or um, I'm talking about taking, again, let's use Hamlet as our example. You could take, okay. you could give Hamlet to your students and give them Story Builder and ask them to recreate Hamlet in Story Builder. There's nothing that says you actually have to use the writing boxes to do actual text. You could be using those for notes. You could be using those okay. for, um, you know, for a synopsis of what's going on in the scene. And then as you're doing that, as you create the characters and you sort of develop out, you know, who, who they are, what their relationships are, and how the plot works from the student's perspective, you can then overlay that over the um, over standardized uh, archetypes and see. You could you could analyze how does uh, how do, what 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 does Hamlet look like compared to a tragedy? I mean, do they actually align? Um, you know, are there deviations? I mean, how you know where did where did Shakespeare uh, deviate from you know standard archetypes and and why would he have done that? So now you've you've got points of comparison and points of discussion that I think make uh, make the story really interesting. I love this. I can see this in and um, used in multiple ways. And so now Story Builder is spelled different. So people might, if we say this, I want them to know what to look for. Right. So Story Builder is Story, S-T-O-R-Y. And then Builder is B-I-L-D-E-R. So it's a, a build, build is a German, actually it's in German, it's in, I think, Yiddish as well. About 12 different languages means picture. So the idea that you're sort of being able to sort of visualize and sort of, you know, get a picture of your story as you're, as you're writing. Uh, so it's storybuilder.com, B-I-L-D-E-R, and all we're missing is you. So All we're missing is you. So we yeah. need you <laughs> we need to, to go to Story Builder. To there look, you go. Connect to Story Builder. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I see that, okay, so I was going to ask you what's next, but I now know what's next, is that you're, you want to launch, and you actually, you've been, presenting this different places. That's why you were at South by Southwest and you were... I do a lot of the um, education, uh, the EdTech conferences. I'm um, really interested in collaborating with other EdTech professionals. Um, I'm starting to uh, reach out to different schools and, uh, you know, possible teachers for collaboration because I'm really interested in sort of pushing the limits and seeing what we can do and how we can make uh, Story Builder really effective in the classroom. Uh, I mean, right now the system is designed to be uh, fairly open, so that you can approach it from multiple ways and write your story, you know, according to what suits you. In an educational setting, maybe we need to put some constraints around um, around the system, so that 
um, so that teachers have uh, talking points where they can insert lessons and information for the students themselves. So that's all coming down the road. Or even comments or yeah. collaborative writing. Would you think there might be something like that? Yeah, collaborative writing is definitely coming. Um, I had okay. to uh, I had to get to market for single users first. Um, yeah, we have to yeah. get that up, get that working. Um, and as soon as that's stable, then that's also on the uh, to-do list. People will be able to write together. Um, and I'm also looking to make the writing collaboration process a little bit more fun. So we're looking at different ways that we can do that. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping we want to get this up before June because you had something... You were going to yes. share, yeah. Yeah, we have a we have a secret backdoor on the website right now, and this will be active until June. That's twenty twenty one for those of you who are coming to this late. But if you go to uh, storybuilder.com, and again, that's b i l d e r, and you click on the sign up button uh, and go through the registration process on the pricing page, uh, it will give you six months for free on the platform um, for as long as we decide to leave it up there. At some point, this will change. Um, yeah. So um, it, it is a limited time offer, but if you'd like to go in and have a look around, we would love to have you. Um, and uh, more importantly, I'd love feedback, especially from educators out there and yeah. see if we can start some conversations. That would be great. Well, I mean, the thing is, is the price is pretty reasonable too. You should, you don't have to tell it on here, but we can... Uh, I know, I'm fine with that. Um, So we're launching out at uh, $25 US a year, and that's the uh, mainstream, that's the single user uh, uh, subscription. Uh, I wanted to keep the price low for a number of reasons. I think our clientele is going to be predominantly younger people, people who uh, post a lot on sort of more amateur websites like Wattpad or Archive of Our Own, and and also uh, self-published writers. And also because we're an educational tool, we wanted it to be a space where people felt free to come in and learn and write at their leisure without the pressure. Uh, there are a ton of writing tools out there that say, we will help you write your book faster and more efficiently. You can write 12 books a year. And that, for me, that takes away all of the joy of ri- the writing experience. And I, I want writers to not have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want people to be able to take the time, which is something that we don't do for ourselves, I think, very often, and not feel pressured. So $25 US a year, Keeps the lights on on our end, um, makes it accessible for uh, amateur writers who don't want to have to make a huge investment into this as a hobby. Uh, and also, it, it, it's a price point that should, I hope, uh, make Story Builder a lot more accessible to communities that otherwise wouldn't have access to uh, tools and uh, things of this nature. Mm-hmm. And if I can help anybody um, improve the way they tell their own stories, um, especially if they come from disadvantaged uh, communities that need help telling their stories so that they can be heard, uh, then for me, that's uh, that's an end goal. On that note, you know, I wrote a book called Define Your Why, and the whole idea is to own your story so you can live and learn on purpose. That was the reason is the story. So see, there was a reason for us to be together. And that is a remarkable price because I think that people will see that. Uh, I mean, when I started looking around for uh, some kind of support in writing a story, the prices were ridiculous. Right. And, so they, they, and they, they're, they're all pro tools and they expect that you're trying to write for professional reasons. Um, mm-hmm. We're not doing that. We're expecting people to come to write because they love writing uh, yeah. and writing should be an act of love. It should be something that we really, that is an expression of your, of your truth. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't think you can do that if you're, you know, worrying about spending $300 for a tool or if you're, you know, worried about how you're going to monetize it on the other end. And th- that's not really the environment that we're looking to uh, to help. Well, this has been amazing. I, I just learned so much and um, 
I'm, I'm really excited. So I know you said Story Builder. Is another way people can contact you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. My handle there is T-K-G-O-U-G-H. That's Goff. It's pronounced Goff like cough. <laughs> Not like though, through, or thorough. <laughs> my, my last name was always my first lesson in my Japanese classes my, or my English classes in Japan. <laughs> Are you, you're on Twitter or anything else? Uh, Story Builders on uh, Twitter. Uh, we're also on Pinterest. Uh, we're, I'm sorry, on Pinterest and Facebook as Story Builder. Uh, we're also available on uh, Instagram as Story Builder app. That was the only one we couldn't get. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to put all these in the uh, post that goes with this because I I think after people hear this, they're going to click through so you can see we'll we'll create the post that has all the resources and links for them because this is brilliant. You're brilliant. It's just so wonderful. I'm really, really excited to finally get this and put this out into the market. I actually went through about six months of terror because I was because it was finally becoming real. Uh, but I've put so much work into this and um, I feel really strongly how important it is um, to, and just to have intermediate tools for writers who are in the in-between. You know, we're, we're just really glad to be able to fill that gap. Well, you are. Thank you, Tanya, for being here. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Barbara. This has been a delight. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Tanya Goff. There's a blog post with links and resources that go with this podcast about Tanya, and it's on my website, barbarabray.net. Did you know there are over hundreds of podcasts where my guests and I feel like we're sitting and talking on my porch? Each podcast and story is different, unique, and an adventure. I hope you enjoy the conversations. I welcome you to subscribe to my Rethinking Learning podcast, and it would be an honor if you wrote a review and sent it via the contact form. Also, I hope you subscribe to my website at Barbara Braynet so you receive updates and more resources. Thank you again for listening. Keep sharing your story, and please stay safe and be well.